0: As I mentioned to you last week, uh, Ascension Thursday is the day that we're all familiar with, Uh, but but many years ago, the church in every diocese was invited to be able to move it to the Sunday, uh, the seventh Sunday, and the reason is that most people didn't go to Mass on Thursday, so they missed the great Feast of Ascension. And uh, I think it's an important one in the Easter cycle. And, uh, and, and something is being asked of us to prepare, especially for the great feast of Pentecost, 50 days after Easter. Now, um, there's some strange things, interesting things that happen in the Word, and the Gospels tend to focus, both in Luke and in John, and at any rate, uh, that Jesus ascended on Easter, it would appear. In the garden, he told Mary, don't touch me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, and then that evening he's with the apostles, so he apparently ascended and returned already. And in this one, it's you wouldn't know this, but, um, well, here's the question. How many people actually have gone onto their computer and looked up usccb.org? Raise your hand if you've done that. One. Oh, my God, OMG. you got to do it. You got to do it. You can do it on your phone. USCCB.org. That stands for United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. And the reason is there's so many sources there like the saint of the day and but the one thing that is so valuable is it has the readings for every day of the year at mass. And so if you go there you can prepare the readings even before you come to mass and they're they're right there. You can also go to them in Spanish. But there's another nice thing. So like today um, you notice there's only twice where we ever say a reading from the beginning of the gospel according to, and this one said a reading from the conclusion of the gospel of Luke. So it's the last verses of the gospel of Luke. Otherwise, it would just say a reading from the gospel of Luke. And um, when you go to the page in the USCCB.org, for example, on the first reading from Acts, uh, it says a reading from the Acts of the Apostles in big, bold print. Then over on the side in a slightly different color, like a gray, it gives the chapter and verses, chapter 1, verse 1 to 7, say. Now, if you click on that, it'll take you right into the gospel book. And the value of that is you can see what came before or what follows. Now, in the gospel passage today, um, no, excuse me. In the um, in the in the Gospel of Luke, uh, we have the story of Emmaus, and that is right before this passage, uh, and that took place on Easter morning. If you recall, Jesus rose; they found the empty tomb. That day, two disciples were walking from Jerusalem seven miles to Emmaus, and they heard about this empty tomb business, and they were all confused. And then Jesus started walking with them, but they didn't recognize him. For seven miles they walked with him, and he told them everything about the Scriptures that referred to him, but they didn't know who it was until what? He broke the bread. And it says, their eyes were opened in the breaking of the bread. And he vanished from the sight. And they ran back to Jerusalem to tell the other apostles what happened. They said, the Lord has appeared to us. And they said, well, he appeared to us too on the road to Emmaus. And this passage follows. So this is Easter morning, Easter night. And on this night, he leaves, he ascends, is what the scriptures say. Now, the even more interesting thing is that Luke wrote both the gospel and he wrote the first reading, which said it was after 40 days. So he doesn't even agree with himself. He doesn't even agree with himself. And you might say, well, what's wrong? It must not be true. Except that the Bible isn't written like we write the history, we write Fact, 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 fact. There was an accident that occurred at 2.32 in the afternoon on the corner of Eagle Rock Boulevard and Avenue 33, and it was on the southwest corner of the street. And That's how we write. But they write, like the second reading said, with the eyes of the heart. And here's a good example. I am looking at this Easter candle with my eyes, and I say, wow, that's a big candle. It must be about... The- two and a half feet tall and nice colors. And that's the eyes of the head. Over the eyes of the heart, I say, that's our Easter candle. This is resurrection. This is the risen Lord in our midst, lit all throughout the Easter season. This is a sign of his glory. That's eyes of the heart. And that's where the Bible is speaking to the eyes of the heart, trying to get us to see and understand To know something about God, about Christ, about the Spirit, so powerful that it empowers us to become something, someone, and do the work of the Lord. So today, I read these scriptures early in the last week, and I thought of a scene that we often see in movies where there's a a marital issue between two people, and one of the person, either the man or woman, keeps saying this every day for you know, a week, two weeks straight. You know, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you. And they keep saying it, and you say, well, you know, put up or shut up. I'm going to leave you. And then they do. They make the threat, and it is a threat, and then they follow through. Well, Jesus does something similar and different at the same time. He doesn't say... Um, uh, he he doesn't threaten that he's going to leave, but he tells us he promises that he is going to leave. But the reason isn't because he's distressed or bothered by them, but because he needs to send the Spirit. And he says, until the Spirit comes, you're not going to understand. And it reminds me of the the idea of a mother bird, mama bird, pushing a, a baby bird out of the nest. And the way that the mother bird prepares the baby bird starts flapping the wings, her wings, so that the baby bird imitates and does it. Mama bird knows exactly when to do it. She kicks the bird out of the nest and the bird flies. That's the only way that the bird will get its freedom. Has to learn how to fly. It's funny, culturally, um, I asked at the last Mass, the Filipinos said they do the same thing, but I know it of the Latinos they, they're thrilled if their, their son or daughter never leaves home. Never leaves home. So the son is 45 years old, still not married. Mommy, do you, you and dad don't mind if I stay here another year or so. Oh, mijo, you don't have to leave. They're 45. You don't have to leave. You don't have to grow up. In a gringo household, the father says, get out. You're old enough. You're 18. You're 21. You, you talk so big like you know everything. Get out. Learn how to do this on your own. It's just cultural. Well, Jesus doesn't say to us, get out of the nest, although that's what has to happen. He says, I'm leaving. And when I leave, you're going to feel distress. But the Spirit will be sent to you. will teach you everything. We've been listening to that for the last week and a half at Daily Mass. I'm going to leave. I've got to leave. I'm going to leave. But I'll send the Spirit Now, I believe that the church, even though there's discrepancy in these accounts of when he leaves on whether it's Easter Day or 40 days later, but I think the church wants to celebrate this and realize we're not experiencing this. We're celebrating a past event 2,000 years or so ago, because you could rightly say to me, Father Perry... Jesus didn't leave us. He's right there in the tabernacle. This is the living presence of Jesus the Christ. And I would say, you're right. There's only two days that we don't have Jesus Christ in that tabernacle, on Good Friday and on Holy Saturday. We take him out after the Mass on Thursday night and put it in another place, and the tabernacle doors are wide open and it's empty so that we enter into this mystery of Jesus being arrested and tried, and and scourged, and carried a cross, and is crucified, and then entombed. And we look at an empty tabernacle for those two days, but starting two and a half days, starting on Thursday night. Similarly, we are being asked to enter into this period between Ascension Thursday and Pentecost. Between the 40th day to the 50th day, Jesus is gone. And we're asked to get into the shoes of the apostles. What did that feel like? He's gone again, first this, and now that. And not only that, the strangest thing about the Scripture today is that uh, Jesus gives his little speech, he has to leave, and then it says he was taken up in a cloud from their midst. And they see him rise and disappear, looking at this, and then these two men come out of nowhere dressed in white saying, What are you looking at that cloud for? He had to go. Now you got to go out and go out to all the nations and whatever. So there's no questions asked. That's the strangest thing. Nobody says, Why do you have to go? Where are you going? Uh, can we follow you? Uh, and there's no Thomas the Doubter. What's this all about? This is crazy, Lord. Come back here. Nobody says anything. I would. How weird it is. But if we listen or look at this with the eyes of the heart, we might end up saying something like this. Ah, God, this is the plan. Not only are there no questions being asked, it's because you're giving these answers. You're saying you have to sit in this place of emptiness without the Lord present to you. You have to experience that, Pain, that struggle, that darkness, because then I am going to send the Spirit of God upon you and through you and into you. It's going to absolutely change everything about you and give you full power so that you will go out to all the nations and preach the Word. So they sit in it. And quite frankly... That's the way we are supposed to experience this week between the Ascension and Pentecost. We're supposed to imagine their feelings. And I think we can best do that if we just look at our lives. Our experience of Ascension to Pentecost are the struggles of faith. Last night I went to hear confessions for about 50 people on a retreat and um, for search. I, I do this every once in a while. And um, a, a person came in Who was talking about? It wasn't so much confession, but talking about not so sure that he believed in God. He he just wasn't sure, and he was a high school student describing how the science teachers uh, talk about, you know, uh, you know, maybe there is no God. And so I said, "Well, I said I'm, you know, you should question everything. That's okay, and even question anything I'm going to say. But let me say this to you." I said, I am not aware of too many scientists that don't believe in God. I think most of them really believe in God. What they don't believe, many of them, is an organized religion. So they believe in the God of the universe. They say, how else could this be? Do you realize how big this is? My favorite example I like to tell people is, uh, you should know this, it just comes right automatically. Uh, The heat when you walk out that door The heat that you feel and the light that you see right now when you walk out the door of church today, you feel that heat. It left the sun eight minutes ago, and it traveled through space and time and got here in eight minutes, traveling at the mere 183,000 miles per second. Took eight, eight, you can check this on your Google, but not now, turn off our phones, okay, but uh, eight minutes to travel here, 93 million miles. I don't know about you, but right there I say, there must be a God. Good Lord. Uh, I, can, uh, I can barely even imagine that reality, and yet they know it as fact. And this is a tiny piece of our galaxy, and there's a million, million galaxies. The, the, the space is so vast, it's, it's unthinkable, that it just happened, something or one had to make it happen. From my knowledge, most scientists believe that. There is a superior mind out there that created all. But what they find confining, some scientists, maybe many, is an organized religion who thinks so little when they think of God. We should be thinking big. So when we look at our lives, This period of ascension to Pentecost, our experience of it, what might we do? Look at our doubts, like this young man, and have the courage to say it to me? Wow. Look at our pain and struggles, physical. Some people have chronic illnesses, have just recently found out they have cancer, and and they're just in this awful place. People have gone through marital problems. They've lost a son or daughter or a parent to death the great and ugly and sad and difficult mystery of death. And they're going through this space. God, where are you? Why me? Why now? After all I've done to try to be faithful to you, look, look what is gone from my life. That's ascension to Pentecost. That's the apostles saying, why? Lord, where are you? Why does this have to be? And if we are careful enough to go into that space, and experience it. Imagine what next Sunday means when we celebrate Pentecost. And we hear the story of the Spirit coming into this church, and all of a sudden, all the lights go on. They see with the eyes of their hearts, and they understand, and they know the power of God in their life, and they get such courage, they go out to all the nations, teaching everyone and everything about the Lord that they know. That's Pentecost. That's Pentecost. But the church says, don't rush to Pentecost. Take a week, take a time, take 10 days and sit in the darkness. Sit in the doubt. Sit in the pain and struggle so that when the Spirit comes, the Spirit actually brings something to you, to me, to us. And when we receive this Spirit, we are told we'll see differently from these eyes. And we'll know, we'll understand. We'll experience the death and the entombment and the resurrection and the ascension. And then we will have a Pentecostal filling of our lives with the Spirit of God that will actually give life. And we believe give eternal life.